Often you'll, you'll hear decision makers kind of suppose that, hey, if we paid our workforce enough, they'll clam up, shut up and do their job. But that's not part of the the uh, burnout equation. In fact, there's a lot of data and research, some that we produce at UpDoc Inc. that suggests that payment and workforce and compensation has nothing to do with burnout. Burnout seems to be a buzz topic right now, and it's really prevalent amongst health professionals. Well, today we had Dr. Ben Fung. Now, Ben is a physical therapist in the United States, and he has his own clinics. And then he went on to study an MBA in marketing and create UpDoc Media, which helps clinics market themselves as well as build amazing cultures. Today, we covered employer and employee responsibilities in burnout, how to have honest and difficult conversation, as well as practical tips around documentation, patient numbers, time blocking to help prevent burnout. I hope you enjoy this episode. A lot of pearls in this one. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Ben, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. We're talking burnout today, and just off air, we are talking about Star Wars Disneyland, but we'll stick to <laughs> burnout for the 15-minute podcast. So, Ben, I was going to start with what do you perceive burnout to be and either you know the official definition or, or what you've come to know it as? Well, I think there's an industry agnostic standpoint as well as a, a physiocentric standpoint. I think uh, on a, a human level, burnout is really when an individual is taking a look at their life and they're saying to themselves, why am I even here? I think I'm done. I think I was done yesterday. I think I was done last year. On a physio-specific wavelength, I find that most burnout, regardless of if you sit from the stance of, a say, a staff clinician or a decision maker, maybe even a C-suite, maybe a clinic director... That burnout really comes from a mismatch of what you're doing on, in your daily dues and the reason you got into the profession at large, where you have a mismatch between your passion and call it your operational purpose. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, mismatch. And so we were speaking a little bit about the why, and it could be the why for the business or the company, and then there would be the why for the team member. And so what you're saying is either those things aren't stated or they're not aligned. Could you speak a little more to the why and how you might even set that up? Sure. I mean, I'll give you at least a specific North American example, or maybe a United States driven example. Very often you'll hear a clinician saying that they're burnt out. One of two reasons. Number one, there's just too much documentation involved. Or mm -hmm. number two, I'm seeing too many patients that I don't feel like I can give them the care they deserve. And what you hear from both of those is an absence of one thing and the presence of another. One, the absence of payment. Often you'll, you'll hear decision makers kind of suppose that, hey, if we paid our workforce enough, they'll clam up, shut up and do their job. But that's not part of the, the uh, burnout equation. In fact, there's a lot of data and research, some that we produce at UpDoc Inc. that suggests that payment in workforce and compensation has nothing to do with burnout. But what you do hear is the presence of something that has nothing to do with the why, the reasons behind why a person turned into a clinician to begin with in terms of patient care. And they don't feel like they're actually doing meaningful work in that vein. Right? You hear them saying, look, I'm spending too much time in front of a, a screen, documenting, billing, coding, finding the right selectors and going through this, this EMR that has, to me, perceivably nothing to do with my clinical work. Or I'm pressed upon to do clinical work in a way where I feel is discongruent or maybe perceptively doesn't bring value to the end user, to the patient, uh, where I might be serving them at a less than grade. 
Have you come across any solutions to that? I'm, I'm thinking you've covered the American system quite well, but even in Australia, we have insurance and with insurance comes plans that you have to write. And that, that could take 20 minutes per patient. You might have 20 plans you have to do a week. <laughs> have you seen any creative solutions or suggestions to combat if we just speak to the documentation part? Certainly. I, I think that in any profession, especially in healthcare, and regardless of where you are, there's going to be some kind of regulatory parameters you have to follow. You know, hmm. I've familiarized myself just because of how I'm networked with the Canadian physio framework at the very least, which I understand it is, is congruent in part with called the international framework. And there's always going to be some I's you have to dot, some T's you have to cross, some boxes and, and bubbles you have to check or fill. And when it comes to that, much of that has to do with mutual expectation and goal setting. And when I say mutual, I mean between, call it the line staff workforce and any level of decision-making. Often these burnout points are, are multifactorial, but there seems to always be one or two straws that break the camel's back. So let's just put forth the example we're running with. Say we have a clinic, the workforce is done. They, they, they just, they aren't bought into what management has to say. And they have at the very least, made mention that, look, this is the documentation piece. It's all this paperwork stuff that is driving me completely nuts. I'm working off the clock, which in many parts of the world is illegal or at the very least ill-advised. I'm doing all these things. Uh, the stress follows me home and all these things. I, I find that the first step really is for both sides to air grievances and to really listen to understand. So often people listen to react or to respond or to rebut. But I, I really do feel like, especially with the locus of control in, in, in modern corporate culture, uh, is for the leadership to, to take a moment and really listen to the why and the hows behind the what's that people are complaining about and see where things can interlap. I mean, we've all seen a Venn diagram. You know, it's not hard to just draw that up and say, hey, look, if these are some problems that we're seeing, what are the actual solutions? And often what ends up happening is it's there's a third variable that nobody is talking about, but everybody has has considered. And so in the case of say documentation, many times what you're looking at is perhaps a shortening or efficiency aspect of workflow that can be added. A, a short tactical thing I can mention right now, at least in, in the American space, is very often you can preload a, a, a documentation workflow with support staff or virtual support staff that the clinicians don't need to sit there checking boxes for. So much of that stuff can be taken, at least in the outpatient world, through intake and certainly through home health. Certain inpatient settings, depending on the insurance and the regulations, uh, you can certainly have unlicensed support staff help preload some of that documentation based on how the patient is processed prior to or during visit. And so there are aspects where you can have uh, surrogate channels of patient care that are required of a clinician because of how you want to document properly and submit for billing, coding, and reimbursement procedures, but there are always going to be opportunities to help offload that, you know, and, and I think the sentiment that supports that very often is that question of why don't we get it too? physicians have a, you know, physicians have dictation assistance. Why don't we have it too? Which is again, not that I'm saying every company needs to pay for dictation assistance or, or AI or something. I'm saying, look, this is a human level problem, right? This has less than optimal aspects of involvement when it comes to me taking care of a patient, which is an opportunity for leadership and for the organization to maybe bridge those gaps. A few distinctions there. That was a wonderful response, Ben. Thank you. I'm thinking 
you need a safe place, space and time to air grievances, which is what you touched on first. And, you know, you might have a, a culture day or a retreat or a, a simple form like a what's working well, what's not working well, what's taking up your time. And then you spoke to efficiencies like templates or some AI or some text prediction software using a virtual assistant even. So, and this can come from the team member level as well. There's a chance that your employer, employer might not know about some of those things. And at a team member level, you can make that suggestion. Another thought that I had while you were talking was creating a time and place where it might make the hard work easier. So like time blocking it into an hour, having your favorite cup of tea, sitting in a different space and just changing your state when you do that. So some really wonderful suggestions there. You also brought it to the next part of the conversation. What do you think the employer responsibilities are here? And what do you think the team member responsibilities are here? And how can we kind of bring that into the middle and close together? Well, Michael, you made mention of it yourself. Uh, it's having that safe space. You know, mm. one thing that we mentioned at the uh, the corporate quality podcast by UpDoc was that the leaders of any organization, regardless of size, you know, it could be a one clinic mom and pop shop with maybe three full time equivalents. It could be a big chain with three, four hundred clinics at a leadership level, and not necessarily your your executive station, but whoever the workforce looks up to as a leader in their organization, they need to be very open and vulnerable to say it's okay to be burnt out and it's okay to talk about it. You hmm. being burnt out doesn't mean we're going to throw more at you or that we're going to put you on leave or that there's going to be reprisals. It's one thing to say, hey, um, I'm boss man Ben and here's your safe space. Now, let me hear it. Right. Hmm. To me, that sounds like an ambush. <laughs> to me, that's like, I'm not going to say anything because you're going to come back at me, you know, and with like, you know, knives out, ready to go. Like, no, that's not good. But what I can do is, hey, look, I'm Ben. Organizationally, I'm your boss. But really, I'd like to be a collaborator and I'd like to be a coordinator and I'd like to be able to give you the tools you need to succeed. I don't know about you, but times have been difficult. I feel like I'm running on empty. And this is from where I stand. I can't imagine what you're going through at the line staff. And I know that since you know we're recording fall of uh, or you know, breaching winter of 2021 maybe a year and a half ago with the pandemic, we had so many changes and it seems that we've been sprinting in our sleep. I need to take ownership of that as your leader. I didn't do a good enough job preparing for this contingency. It wasn't even a contingency we knew to prepare, but it doesn't change the fact I didn't prepare for you. So I need to hear from you what has worked well, what hasn't worked well, and I need your solutions because you are the ones that have seen it at the front line. I am blind to it. For every complaint I might hear of, there's probably a hundred things and details and nuances I have missed. I can't make good decisions to empower you as our company workforce without hearing what is truly on your heart of hearts and what your mind's eye sees as the greatest opportunities and the greatest threats to the health of our company. That discussion needs to be opened. And I think you know, that speaks to the employer's responsibilities. I think the employee or the workforce responsibility on that effect is to a, really be honest. You know, this is a good time if your leadership is willing to be that open and vulnerable and to say it's okay not to be okay. It's truly be open. Uh, secondly, it is not a time to whine. It's a great time to complain. And the distinction is if you come to a problem and all you have is complaint and you have no solution whatsoever, you're whining. And that's fine. There's a time and place for that. But when you have organizational leaders saying, hey, look, I need your solutions, that's not a time to say, 
<laughs> service sucks. Like <laughs> this isn't time to say that, right? Like it's uh, when the dialogue is open for you, it is not the right and appropriate time to slam on everything you've always wanted to slam on. It is the right and appropriate time to bring forth some truly constructive solutions. And, and it may be very well like, hey, look, maybe we need to think about changing the EMR, or maybe we need to create templates, or maybe we can have support staff do this and that for us, or maybe we can block out time specifically at times A, B, and C, where we can be much more in our headspace to document effectively. And to do that, maybe we need a daily checklist or something of that nature, where it goes back to my acute care hospital days, where I printed out a short list for myself. And it made me very productive to the point where many of the staff members wanted the same printout. So I just made it available. I just printed a huge stack like, hey, look, take it, write your stuff down in the morning, get your diagnosis codes in. It's like line by line, shorthand everything. At the end of the day, you can just slam all of your documentation for all of your patients in maybe a 30 minute block, right? So maybe it's something like that. It could be flexible scheduling. It could be a hybrid employment option for those clinics or, or companies that have the ability to do brick and mortar clinical care as well as digital health. And whatever those cases are, right? it's on you as the workforce to bring forth a truly constructive and very, very honest appraisal and solution set. And even if you don't have a clear solution set, just an idea. I'll give you like kind of a, a, a one-off random-ish idea which I think does speak a little bit more to the American condition of, of employment uh, is down back in our, I think our end of year 2020 talent acquisition survey and report series. And we're due to run another one. Uh, one of the greatest outcries was for working parents, primarily working mothers to have modified full-time or part-time schedules with benefits that they were more than willing to take a pay cut if they could just work a 0.5, a 0.6 or a 0.7 so they can spend time taking care of their family, retain benefits, and they were happy to take the reciprocal and reasonable pay cut on the cash flow standpoint just to retain those benefits. I can tell you from, from anecdotal feedback that employers that heard us on that one, they went out big into 2021 because they created that flexible schedule. And now they had all these working moms, very, very happy. They didn't have that turnover, which means they didn't have that multi-hole cyclical problem of turnover, supply chain holes, and then loss of revenue. I love that you've mentioned what both parties can do because it is something that both parties can deal with. I, I get a lot of messages from young team members and they'll air their grievances to me as a safe space. And my first question is, is have you brought this up? And for me as a young team member, this also gives you permission to practice your communication and improve the organization. But I think it also gives you permission to leave. If you've been brave enough to bring it up once or twice and you see no shift after one or two years, to me, that's like you have full clear conscience to be like, I've brought these grievances and I haven't been listened to. Where sometimes I get frustrated if a young team member says, I've got these six problems, but I haven't brought it up. I'm thinking of leaving. So I, I really love that you touched on that. And Ben, just with a couple minutes to go, I wanted to bring us right back to the million dollar question in two minutes. How do we see less patients? Have you got any practical or pragmatic solutions on ways to do this as an employer that's scary and as a team member, it's probably the unicorn or the vision? I think seeing less patients is maybe the the surrogate question to the the question that's going to give us the real answer. And I think really the question everyone is looking for is how do we how do we organize our services product in a way that's most valuable to the healthcare consumer? It's most valuable to the clinician provider. This is really bridging into the world of theory. There's not a lot of, of direct actionables outside of data gathering, right? I think really what at least payers in, in the United States are looking for 
and we do have evidence to support this, is can you take care of my patients at a higher quality and make them happy and cost-effective members or beneficiaries? And I'll tell you a personal story. Back when I was working uh, as a corporate rehab director, I was in charge of a kind of a three-part type program. And I was looking at just our general reports. I was finishing up my MBA at the time. Uh, and I just put some of that to work. And I discovered one or two pairs. Actually, it was, it was one pair specifically. And I dovetailed that with a second pair. And I was looking at none of the numbers make sense, right? And so I looked at the insurance adjuster at a meeting. And I was like, look, what can I do? What's success for you? You control the financial flow here. We control the, the providing of care. What can I do? to make your side of it successful. And so the insurance adjuster, she said to me, look, my boss is destroying me. She just killing me on my dashboard. Well, what's on your dashboard? Length of stay. Everything had, it was an inpatient aspect of it. Length of stay was, was destroying her. She was getting dinged every single time on her meeting. So I was like, okay, well, I, I can probably affect that. What, what uh, you know, without saying so, like, what can you do for me? And she'll look, I will give you all the money in the world. I'll, I'll give you an extra unit of pay. It was a, a customized contract. And so we essentially got a free extra unit of pay if we were to lengthen the window of stay. Her dashboard went green. Our cash flow was incredibly profitable for that particular demographic. And literally everybody won. And all of a sudden, my boss was looking at me going, what did you do? <laughs> but it was such a simple... Uh, it was such a simple thing. And I think that, you know, if you want to see, quote, less patients, you want to feel less busy, you feel less burnt out, I think you need to bring more voices to take a look at what every stakeholder is looking for and find those commonality points to start bridging into more blue ocean territory, just like what I did with that, that insurance adjuster. I was like, well, look, you need length of stay changes. Great. I need more intensity to make that realistically happen. Otherwise, I'm sending in total hips with, you know, pretty much no gate velocity whatsoever, setting them up for failure. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. I love that. And that it speaks to going back to the patient's outcome and what all parties need. So it might be, you know, instead of 12 visits over 12 months, we're going to do 10 in three. So thinking about all possibilities that would lead to a good patient outcome, then we're actually short on time now. We're going to have to leave it there. Though I feel like I could go a whole nother podcast. You've covered a lot of stuff today for us. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure. And I love these kind of hot topic questions that we can kind of pound out some thought points for, for everybody to really think about and perhaps take some action steps. Thank you so much, mate. We'll have to talk again. Sounds good.